My name is Kaylee Golden, and this is the Radio Silence podcast. On this podcast, I'll be sharing the stories of minority groups within the UK radio industry and asking ourselves, how can we do better? Throughout season two, we'll be focusing on the experiences of women in the industry. We recently partnered with Women in Control to conduct original research that looked into the experiences of women in the UK radio industry. I'll be sharing more about the study as the season goes on, but right now you can check out the whole report on our website, radiosilenceproductions.com. The link will also be in the description. So my statistic for you this week is that 59% of women said that they felt that child-rearing would or has had a negative impact on their career. So this week, I spoke to Emma B. Emma B has presented for Radio 1, 6 Music, Heart and Smooth, and she's currently on Magic FM. She spoke to me about everything, from the way that she thinks that her appearance has affected her job opportunities, to breaking into the boys' club environment of radio, to even leaving her job, because she wasn't supported in speaking about her postnatal depression. As just someone who's been in the industry for a while now, I'm desperate to know who first inspired you to get into radio. Was it another woman in radio at the time or? Do you know what? I am that old. Um, so that I think if you ask anybody from my generation, there really were two or three people, two or three women that were doing it. I think the first sort of big movements that I saw in sort of popular entertainment were on the telly, you know, the Blue Peter presenters, whether that was Sarah Green, moving on, you know, through the ages there. That, those were the first places. And, it, and there was a program called Tomorrow's World as well that I used to watch. And they always made an effort to have a woman on there as well. But really in radio, you know, I started listening to radio and it was all men. It really was. I mean, apart from Annie Nightingale and our very own Lynn Parsons and people, it was, it was negligible. It really was. However, saying that the person that got me into radio, actually on the radio was a woman and she was a producer at Radio Oxford and Penny Faust was her name. And uh, she lived down the road from us and Timmy Mallett who started off on Radio Oxford, needed some kids. And she was quite a high-flying producer. I had no idea what that meant because I was seven or eight at the time. Oh, and wow. She dragged, that, yeah. That, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so we had this, uh, he wrote this, he wrote this, he wrote this radio play called Prince Timmy and the Golden Tranny, which was when transistor radios were shortened to trannies, which means a whole heap of different stuff now. And it was a radio drama starring kids. And uh, my friend, her son, played Prince Timmy. He was a bit, of a, he was a bit crap as a, as a superhero. So he needed a dynamic sidekick. And that was me. And I was called Susan Zink. And I held Prince Timmy's hand as we rescued and saved the world. So I think, to be honest with you, Kaylee, I, I was very lucky because I kind of came from a place where I didn't think it wasn't possible. I didn't think it wasn't an arena that we should be in, apart from not having any radio role models at that age. But then I didn't really know that that's what I wanted to do. I just never kind of felt that ceiling until I was a lot older. That's the sad thing, I think, about, you know, the optimism of youth and, and how, you know, you, 
these restrictions and these boxes are all learnt as you get older. And you start off with the world being your oyster and you being capable of anything to be told otherwise as you get older. And and so that was literally what happened. I totally thought I could do anything. And then as you get older, you kind of just go, you know, I didn't, there, there just weren't that many women around that inspired me on the radio just because there weren't that many of them. So uh, for, for me, really, the, the, the knowledge or the certainty that I could do something like this came from sort of Saturday morning telly and, you know, the trailblazers in that world, really. So as you mentioned, it wasn't until you got older that you started to really feel those pressures of the industry. Was there a point that you started to notice the barriers for women in radio? I always felt like, and I think back in the day, this was probably true. So I went to uni- when I went to university, I did, I did um, university radio um, and I went to Exeter University and the, uh, and this was, this was when, you know, we were cutting and pasting with actual, you know, sort of razor blades and sticking bits of tape together and stuff. And I kind of bowled into the, I bowled into the, the radio station and said, hi, I'm Emma. I want to do radio. And it was a bunch of, then it was a bunch of boys who were really geeky and like soldering bits of like, you know, metal together um, and talking about licenses and trying to put masks everywhere. And there was this, you know, and I was like, no, I don't want to do all that. I want to be hilarious. I don't want to do that. I, ne- I never felt very welcome there. And I certainly wasn't encouraged to get involved in the running of it. I certainly wasn't encouraged to become part of the structure of it at all. So they kind of uh, swished me aside and gave me a little show in the middle of the night that I did on my own. And I think that, again, was roles and what you learned at school. So at that point in time, you know, there, were, there was a real problem with women going to college and doing science or technology at all. So it was no surprise, really, that something like that would be then run by the boys. I think the first time I knew that there was something up was when I actually went for a, my first ever audition for a TV show uh, with the TV network. And they told me to go away and lose a stone. And I was uh, probably about eight and a half stone at that point, like the thinnest I've ever been. So I kind of knew then that, that something was up. And that sort of, you know, I'm being really honest that I've been very, very lucky in my radio career. I think largely because I just didn't think that nothing was possible. And then, and then I think it was probably when I, you know, in my Radio 1 years, that the insecurities started developing. The insecurities about the fragility of my role there was made very obvious for sure. Okay, so when that's happening when the industry is causing you to doubt yourself and feel self-conscious, how do you actually get past that and keep going? Well, it's an entertainment industry, so it's, it's, it's always going to be cutthroat because it's always going to be brutal because sometimes you're not good enough and that's it and you have to take it on the chin. But when, you know, when I was always told, I was always told that there would be someone you know, ne- you never take time off. Don't ever, don't ne- never take time off. You never ever take more than a week off. And to this day, that fills me with terror. Although I'm in a very happy place now. The yeah, it was always ingrained into you to you know you really didn't take any time off because there was always somebody younger, thinner, better 
than you. But it would always be in that, you know, younger and thinner. It, it, it would, you would never say that to a bloke. You would never have said that to a man. Maybe somebody better will come along at some point and, and you won't be as cool, but you would never say somebody thinner and prettier and more dynamic than you will, will be there waiting to take that job. And I think, you know, don't get me wrong, when I was at Radio 1 was during the Sarah Coxon Zoe Ball stage and, you know, we were, the women were ruling the airwaves. But that Ladette thing got a pasting the whole time. And really we were, you know, I'm, I'm, I was part of that, not quite as much in the limelight as the great Sarah Cox and Zoe Ball, but, you know, the B team. <laughs> and there were lots of people that really didn't like it. They really did not like the girls enjoying themselves quite as much as we did. (laughs) That's really heartbreaking to hear. And we heard similar things in the research that we conducted where 70% of women actually felt that their appearance had an effect on their job opportunities. How does that statistic make you feel then? Well, look, I mean, you know, we've got the added pressure now of, of, of social, me- social media. But I mean, and I still say it to this day, I still say it to this day. And there are certain, there are, there are radio groups where if you look at the daytime lineups, the women are required or have huge TV profiles. They are stunningly beautiful, have hugely successful careers on the television, social media. And the men remain pretty anonymous in that world, actually. The biggest radio show in the country is presented by a man I'm pretty sure a lot of people can't even name on Radio 2. And that is literally the biggest show in the country. But he, he and the, the, the legend that is Ken, I would bet money on the fact that, uh, that there are a vast number of people that can't describe what he looks like that have never seen a picture of him. And that is literally the biggest radio show in the country on a, on a yearly basis. The idea that a woman, and I still do, and I believe that more now because we have social media and because there is this huge pressure on us. And I'm, I'm like worrying now about talking to you because I haven't made myself look nice, which is insane. But I, I question whether or not women would get big radio shows now without the benefit of a look or without the benefit of a social media presence. I certainly have had huge issues with how I look and being overweight in a sea of beauties that rule the airwaves. And it really makes me mad. It really makes me mad. And, and you know, to the, the, to the, it's definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, definitely my appearance has had an impact on what and how well I've done. That really breaks my heart to hear you say that because I see myself as like a mini Emma B. You know, you know what it is. I really do. And I look up to you and you'd think that the industry has changed. But all of the insecurities you just said that you have, I have them right now. So even though we feel like the progression's there, it's like, is it really? If we're still having this conversation. I think there are massive, I think there was, I think there's, there was some really interesting timing, wasn't there? Because at the sort of, at the peak of, <clears throat> of Radio 1 and Zoe and, and Sarah and me and uh, Edith and then, you know, Namone and people like, like that, there was, it felt like these great strides had been made forward that, you know, women could do breakfast shows, that we could be super famous and, and handle it and we could be who we wanted and we could say and be brave on air. And, and I think all of that is true. Um, and there were huge leaps, you know, 
huge strides made you know that were that were that were taken lots of pressure to get women up the you know Lorna Clarks of the world to get women up the management levels and to get you know there were there were so many women producers at Radio 1 I was produced by women pretty much all the time during the Sunday surgery that I did so really smart women really brave women you know women that were taking really difficult subjects and putting them on air and for that I'll be eternally grateful it feels I don't know it just feels like with the onslaught of social media and particularly, I think, in commercial radio where we have to rely so much on advertising, it, it's more difficult for big corporations to take risks on talent that doesn't sell easily. Saying that, you know, saying that, I think, a certain brand of radio, saying that the likes of the BBC, which is why we need the BBC, have the resources to be brave, have the resources to focus on types of music that don't get massive platforms, groups of people that are underrepresented, on a campaigning wing that is, that is vocal and strong. And it is super important that that happens because if that doesn't happen, and if that doesn't happen, then we are stuck with great big commercial corporate bodies that have to be funded by advertising. And for them, it is really difficult to take risks. And sadly, that has an impact on diversity. It definitely has had an impact and that's why this report focused completely on how women feel in the workplace because it's one part of the battle to actually bring women into radio but it's another part to make sure that they actually stay and they feel comfortable. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you know, in another, a large radio group that I worked for really successfully for many, many, many years, when I got pregnant, so as a self-employed person, when you get pregnant, you don't get any maternity pay as a DJ. So you, you just go from a salary to nothing. Really? I didn't even know that. Like literally nothing. No, nothing. Nothing. I didn't get a penny from either of the, the employers that I was working with whilst I was pregnant. Nothing. And then in my second, when I got pregnant for the second time, my employer sat me down. And if you don't know, the, uh, the radio audience figures are measured in these things called radios. They come out quarterly. And my boss said to me, he said, how long are you planning to take off? And at the time, I mean, I'm like, well, like, why do you care? You're not giving me any money. And this was my second pregnancy. And I decided to take six months off because I'd gone straight back to work after my first child and needed some, you know, needed, needed to have some decent time with my, my son. And he said, it's just that I think we can manage one radar, but two radars would be pushing it. So, it literally was measuring my unpaid maternity leave in terms of Rajar. And I think that was really telling. I was just like, wow, wow. This is like, this should be the most joyous moment of my life. And it is, it was, it was hampered. And yeah, that was, it was, that was, I was very sad about that. But, you know, and, and I think as well, because there was no structure in place to deal with presenters particularly who who got pregnant that changed with individuals so everybody got a different kind of approach and and that's really tough and what did you do at that point it was nothing you can do there's nothing that I didn't I didn't do anything I took the time off and spent time doing what I should have been doing which was being a, a mummy and enjoying my new baby and having a really nice time and I think you know you get to a point when you know, you get to a point as a DJ as well when you, I, I think 
so I took some time off after I left one job and I went and did a normal job and you know so got up and went to work properly for a living um yeah I did I went to work I went to work with Teenage Cancer Trust full-time and Macmillan Cancer Support full-time for about two and a half years and I just had enough and I needed to kind of recalibrate and it was probably the best thing I've ever done because this this industry can consume you a little bit and you have to sometimes take a step back and it was great because I came back going do you know what I can work and I can do things. And it, it, that really needed to be done because it was it was a difficult time for sure. It was a really difficult time. And, you know, I think just as, as I think, you know, that huge sense of being let down, that huge sense of, you know, well, I, you know, you know me, I work my knackers off most of the time. And for a company that I'd done so well with, and we were number one in London, it was the first time it had ever been done by a female DJ on drive. And we were sort of like breaking records and treading new water, like on a weekly basis. Yeah. And I was really, really let down. It was very disappointing. Very disappointing. Now, the thing is, I know that you're not the only woman that this has happened to, because in our research, 59% of women said that they thought that child rearing would have a negative impact on their career progression. And even, even I've said it myself, I've said that I can't take a break. I can't have a kid until I'm on national radio full time. All these different conversations, these public conversations, whether they're the research that you're doing, the work that you're doing, which is so important, whether that is people's pay being brought into the public light so we know that there is gender equality in our pay, in our working hours, whether that's the work that you kind of, that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that paternity pay is the same as maternity pay so that either partner in a partnership has an equal opportunity to take the same time off. You know, as long as women are the sole carers and are the sole people that in receipt of maternity pay, there will be that fear. So all these different conversations are super, super, super important. And a lot of that, Kaylee's changed in the last 10 years, you know, just in the last 10 years. And I think that we should be really happy about that because I think it's, it's a lot more difficult for big corporations to treat people differently because of their their gender, sex, race. It's really much more difficult now and that's due to conversations like the ones that we're having. Definitely. I completely agree that we're making positive change. We really are. But I still wonder about it. Like, obviously, you had that conversation with your boss years ago. Do you think that the same conversation could happen in 2021? Oh, it couldn't. I was always made to feel that I had to be so grateful. There was this huge thing. You have to be so grateful. And I had a conversation with Sarah Cox once and it was Annie Mack who had said said to her, because both me and Sarah and Zoe, you know, my kind of my peer groups, we all sort of had a second wind on radio. And for a long time, you know, all three of us would walk around and Sarah would say, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And Harriet as well. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for having a second chance. So grateful. And it was Annie Mack that turned around to Sarah and just went, what the fuck? Will you please stop saying that? Stop saying I'm so grateful. Like they are the people that should be grateful because they have managed to bag such an exceptional talent. And I think that is a combination of sort of being generally worn down by latent sexism throughout your life, which is a really female trait and it's terrible. And I think that that is something that is just cumulative over so many years. But you just kind of go, 
And I'm a bit like that at the moment. I'm a bit like, so what? Um, and uh, and and it's really healthy because you know you approach things in a much different, with a, a, a much healthier frame of mind. But also, I don't. Number one, I don't think it would happen. Number two, if they, if it did, if it did happen, I would have the confidence and and the, you know the resolve to say, I'm not sure you can talk to me like that. You know, I'm much better at talking about money which I was terrible about, you know, years ago. I'd be, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. No, no, no. You don't have to pay me nearly as much as my, my male equivalent. Pound, fine, yeah. Just give me a pound. It's fine. It's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind. Who earns more than me? All of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine too. I'm 50. It shouldn't have to have taken me to be 50 and being in this industry for 25 years to have that amount of confidence, to have those conversations. Just daft, isn't it? So how do women build up that confidence to learn their worth? You know, it's all that, it's that thing about opportunity, isn't it? You know, if you are not brought up in a world where you're told that you can do stuff and you're not brought up in a world where being on the radio is something that you could do, then, you know, your talent goes unnoticed and you never, so, you know, reaching people is, is as important as getting that diversity, that diverse mix, like you said, get through the door. And what's great about you guys as well is that there are so many opportunities to broadcast like we're doing now. So when I was doing it, if Radio 1 said no, you were like that. Well, that's it. I'm, and that's it. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's Capital and there's a couple of other stations. And now you have a world of stations that you can access. You have your podcasting careers, you have blogging, you have social media. So to a certain degree, there's a, there's, you should be really confident that there are enough platforms for you to broadcast on that somebody will see it. And they will, and they have, you know, and they do see it with you. And that's really cool because by the time, and I was just thinking, because I, I was in the studio today, and Tyler West from Kiss. Tyler and I were having a laugh today because he's 25 today. And so he is half my age. And he caught me doing a, he caught me doing a little selfie thingy in the studio. (laughs) And he was laughing his head up, just going, oh my God, she's busting some moves. It's really cool. Emma B's in the house. I'm like, oh my God, Tyler thinks I'm cool. And we were just talking about it today that I was like, he's 25 and he's doing so well. And I really didn't get to Radio 1 until I was 26, 27. And you're starting so much younger. You're so savvy and so technical and, uh, you know, have all this stuff at your fingertips, which means that you're getting feedback from so many more people. And in that community that you're building, Katie, that community of women, that community of voices, that is confidence right there. That's confidence right there, you know, and there is such power in community and there's such power in friendship. And when you are, when you're standing on your own, it's a very lonely place and that's when people don't get through. So, you know, strength in numbers, strength in sisters. It really is so true. And I hate the term networking because what really is more valuable is just making friends in the industry, making those friends with women and asking for their advice, having those conversations. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? I think that's the other thing is that, you know, you know, don't get, don't get me wrong. This is, a, this is an entertainment job and, and there aren't lots of them. So you, you do have to try really hard you know, I've worked really hard for a very long time, but, you know, and to get into it, you have to work really, really hard. I think the difference is now is there's no excuse because you have got so many opportunities and so, so many different ways of getting in. But what I like is 
And it's one of the upsides of social media, actually, because there are there are many, many, many downsides. But I think when you happen upon a community of like-minded people, the uh, like my gardening friends, I know I'm so I'm just <laughs> falling into this gardening world, and they're all women. They're all women gardeners. And we're all like that. Oh my God, are your dahlias in? I don't, well, they are, I know, but they're not doing anything. My tomatoes are going mad. Um, and that's really nice. That's really nice. That supportive community is really, really, really nice. You know, and I think you have to be confident to know that if you do the work and you are kind and dedicated and committed, it'll work. I know we spoke earlier about having children while working, but I want to ask what it was like before you got pregnant. Did you have any initial fears in the first place when you had no kids at all about what becoming a mother would actually do to your career? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. I mean, I'd there was a really competitive dynamic at that stage and I was being promoted quite rapidly, bearing in mind that I hadn't done very much radio at all actually in comparison to like Chris Moyles who had been broadcasting in Leeds since he could walk. So I was really quite, I was really quite green. Lorna Clark took me under her wing and we would have, I mean, like when I started, maybe twice, three times a week, snoop sessions. So she would sit down and we'd listen to the show and she'd go, why have you used that word three times in the last minute? (laughs) Okay, go away, think of seven words that mean the same thing and let's try that a different way. And she really kind of started honing down the kind of presenter that I wanted to be. But then I kind of, I was like just doing some overnights and then I did some early breakfast and then I, and then it just went whoop and I was standing in for Mark and Lard and in for Joe Wiley and doing the evening session. And it, it just kind of went through the roof. And at that point, when I was just kind of here, I got pregnant and they were really fine about it. The way that they verbally handled it with me, they were really fine with it. And it was just a harsh way to learn self-employment law. <laughs> it's not just the way it is. It's nothing to do with them and their, their attitude to, to me. But I was really nervous about not being there. And it was, I'd, you know, I knew that there were other people around that would take those shows I knew that there were other people around that would take the depths that I was doing. And as a result, I had just over two months off after having a cesarean section. I had no time at all. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But pretty much went straight back to work. I think now, I think to, I think to uh, you know, some of my, my younger colleagues now that can and should and do take all the time they need but that was not the case for me. I did not feel confident enough at that point to take that time off. And that's the mental side of it. But let's talk about the physical side, like having a cesarean and then going straight back to work. Like That's a huge physical challenge. Yeah, f- for sure. And life was very, very fast at that point as well anyway. So, you know, things would change on a penny, but we would, you know, you would, before Edie came along, I could quite happily go, seven days a week, broadcasting seven days a week for weeks on end. And there, was, there were times when I would do, I'd do an early breakfast and then sleep in the office and stand in for Joe Wiley at, at 10. So I'd do two shows within the space of sort of nine hours or whatever and just have a quick kip. I, it's, it's hard because it, I had such amazing times there as well. But I think more than anything, if I, there were sort of 
situations that happened particularly about workload and not having any time off really that I never had the confidence to say you know what no I'm not going to work next week I'm not going to do that debt because I need to be it's my brother's birthday or there's a really important occasion and things that I never said no to were down to the fact that I always felt that my commitment would be judged for sure. And that wasn't anything particularly that anybody said or did, but it was just understood that this was a fast-changing industry and there were lots of people after your job. Yeah, and I think that it's such a toxic idea in radio that you can't take time off work because you can be replaced so easily. Have you heard that? Have you heard that before then? Oh, every single person I've spoken to, like in this podcast so far, has said that they have that feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be replaced. Yeah. I look back now, even like little things, I'm like, really? I really didn't go to that. But you have it in your head. You have to go. You have to commit to it. Like you said, when you're, when you're campaigning and when you're working really hard in, in a certain arena with certain you know, ideas and, and questions that, that you have, there's the voices that you need to get heard and the stories that you need to get heard and the injustices that you need to kind of hear about. But there's also the system that you need to work on. And that is about employment rights. That is about, you know, when you're, when you're, if you are pregnant, having commitments throughout the pregnancy to come back, which not weren't really there 20 years ago. All those systemic things, which is nuts and bolts that need to change for you to be able to feel confident about your choices. Longer contracts. Like nobody, nobody, no radio station puts a DJ on for a year. Like nobody does that. But yet we all get given, you know, we, we get those yearly contracts all the time, which is hugely insecure. And that's, that is the nature of the beast to an extent. But certainly when you're pregnant and you're having kids, to not have those reassurances is really tough. So after you went back to work, did you feel like your career progression has slowed down? It was a, a little bit of both. And then I changed, I, I, then I, I changed jobs as well. I never felt like that because, I mean, you know, I remember, because <laughs> this is the next thing you see, is that I remember having a conversation with a senior producer saying, no, we want more of the baby stuff. The baby stuff is really good. And now I'm like, okay, so I'm, my value is now in my children. So my value before was as a young, fit, slim, sexy beast. And now my value is, is as a mother. That's my value now. So having, having a baby then was, was okay. It, made, it, was, it, wasn't, it, wasn't too, it wasn't too problematic. So after my second child, I had, that was the one rage of, not two rage of, I had some postnatal depression. And he didn't sleep for six months. And, um, you know, it was, it was really, really, really difficult. And I was doing a drive time show. So at that time, you know, you have to be at your most perky at the other end of the day when you're absolutely shattered. And again, my value was judged as being a mother. And that's really interesting. We want to do all these things with mother brands with you. And behind the scenes, I was having an absolutely dreadful time. And on one occasion, we had a meeting, I had a meeting with a press guy because I'd met a woman who was a journalist for a, a really big magazine. And she was like, why don't we talk about this? Why do we talk about your postnatal depression? I was like, I'd love to talk about my postnatal depression because I don't think anybody else has it because you didn't talk about it then. And I was told by my radio station at the time that that was a no. And that 
you're happy and we're lovely and happy and cheerful here and we won't be doing that. That was a real eye-opener as to, you know, this is, this is always your value being judged on these roles, not what comes out of your mouth and not how well you do your job, but these roles that they can fit you into. And that was happy, chirpy mother. That sells advertising for us. We don't do sad mother. How did being told not to talk about your postnatal depression affect you? Did you feel like you had to hide how you were feeling? Uh, Yeah, for a bit. And then I couldn't, so I left. And that's when we went to Ibiza because I ran away. (laughs) We took the children and went to Ibiza for two years where I didn't, didn't, you know, I left. I I left because I was exhausted. I was exhausted and I was tired and, you know, and yeah, I, I wasn't, and you know, I wasn't getting the support that I needed. And yeah, I I left. And that was a really good thing to do for me. It was a really, really good thing to do for me. And I needed to stop as well at some point because I'd been working like the clappers for the best part of 15 years by then. And I hadn't had a two-week holiday in all that time and all that kind of stuff and had two children. So yeah, it was time to stop. Of course, but I didn't know that's why you left. That's why I left. Yeah. That's why I left. Yeah, it was too much. It was, it was, it was just too much. And and you know, I think we just, I just needed to be a mom. I needed to be a mom. I need, and I needed to be a mom on my terms, and not as a another another kind of advertising box that they could fit me into somewhere. And you know, and being a mom, being a mom on the radio is really busy. I mean, God, you were you know being bombarded by interviews and events to take the kids to and are like oh everybody's taking the kids to this and there'll be a great event there'll be loads of paps there and it'd be amazing and behind the scenes it's exhausting and then you look at people like Kate Lawler now and I I love that girl for what she's doing on Instagram at the moment and showing how real it is and how difficult it is and I mean what she's doing at the moment on Instagram she's just had baby Noah is fantastic. And it will make so much difference to so many women having kids at home thinking that they're failing and they're useless and they've got no energy and, and all that kind of thing. And it's brilliant. I applaud her for it. I really do. I think times are changing. Radio stations are more open to people having conversations about mental health. So how does that make you feel now, seeing people having these sorts of conversations? I think it's well overdue in this industry. I think it's well overdue. It's brilliant that in the last five years, it's it's become a priority for employers, as it should do, as it, as it should do. I think, you know, as a culture, we have gone through a phase of productivity is king. You know, really looking down on people that go home early in the office or people that go and take a full lunch hour. You're like, what are they doing? They're not working nearly as hard as me. And if there's one thing that the pandemic has done, it's been able, you know, it's, it's focused our minds on, on how best we can all individually be productive, the ways that that can work and how amazingly agile the industry has been. Like, you know, I've been, we, we were at home, I've been broadcasting at home for a year in this little studio here. And even though it's been trying at time and the dogs and the kids and, you know, the DPD man with the kids at home and homeschooling, there's literally no way I could have done that without being able to do this. So I'm very grateful for the work that Bauer are doing about it. I hope that people put their money where their mouth is. I hope. Because I think you're absolutely right. It's all very well, Kaylee, opening 
doors and welcoming people in to those conversations. But if the structure and the pathways onwards aren't, aren't there, it's just fluff. I really hope that this industry as a whole, which is a, an industry that I love with every fibre of my body and that has given me some incredibly profound moments and some great highs and I've made some brilliant friends, can adjust itself to the needs of everybody and make it work for everybody. Because when it works, it's beautiful. No, I agree. And as you said, most people in the industry really do love their job. We just want to see everyone feel welcome and just love it as much as we do. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, you know, and that's why it's, you know, it's so A, seeing people like you doing what you're, what you're doing. And, I, and I, I just, I really hope, I really hope that the social media pressures, that that gets fixed a bit. I think, that, you know, I hope that gets fixed a bit because whilst it offers all these different platforms for you to get heard and seen, there are, especially for women, inbuilt issues of identity and self-worth. And that's a long-term problem that I'm not entirely sure how that gets fixed. Apart from the fact that I've just decided that I will put myself up and my stories up on social media, regardless of what time of the day and whether I've got makeup on or not, because this is me and that's how I, this is my day. And if it's funny, it doesn't get any funnier because I look nice. You know, you've got to make those decisions and be, and be brave. And that taking back that ownership of your image is so important in this time. It's so important that you can interact with social media, you can interact, but on your own terms and feel brave enough to do that because it's really important. Do you know, I had that same epiphany during lockdown. At one point, I was putting on makeup every single day just to go on Instagram. And I had to check myself like, no girl, I am a content creator. I'm a presenter. I'm not a model. I mean, I might do some of that on the side. But while I'm on my story, I'm definitely not a model. So I had to reevaluate what was more important, like me looking pretty or the actual content of what I'm posting. But hang on a second. But hang on a second. You would be forgiven for thinking that. And it must be really annoying. You know, for example, I'm going to use Amanda Holden as an example. I know what Amanda has worn every day 20 million times more than I know what she said that day. And you know what? She is beautiful. She's absolutely gorgeous. She's also really funny and really smart. And, you know, yes, she's a, she's a massive superstar. But as a woman coming into this industry, you know, it's the same with a handful of female DJs. I know what they wear, where they went to lunch. I know what they wore. I know which awards they were at. And so you would be forgiven for thinking that this is important because frankly, it is in some areas. It is still really important. And, and I will never win that race. <laughs> I have no intention of trying to win that race. I like carbs too much, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But I think it's difficult for young female DJs to come to any other conclusion. And I think therefore it is really important that radio decisions, decisions that are made in the radio world are made with the right frameworks. I think what is great about my generation, and I love being in my generation because we are the generation for change, honestly. I think you are. I, th I honestly really think you are. We really are. We just want to see change, equality, and just equal representation. We don't want the bullshit, basically. But it's getting to that point where we're seeing people being authentic because that is what sells. We want to connect with real people. So I'm hoping that the people in these buildings are seeing that and that's what the world wants now. So let's give it to them. 
I think the thing is at the moment as well is that you're in, you know, you're, it, it's, it, it's such a, it's such a great time to take it, you know, just to take it, to grab it, to go and get it. Um, because you can ask right now, you can. Um, and, uh, and I think you're right. I think you may very well be the generation of change. I do. I really think you might be. I love it. The fact that my daughter, who's 18 in a few weeks time, um, you know, she's just like, oh, I love it. She's just, she'll come home and she'll just go, Oh my God. Like this guy, like wolf whistled at me. And I told him to fuck off. Yes. And I was just like, Oh, shut up. Like, Oh, you're so stupid. And I'm like, I love you. I love you. You're amazing. And, and, and that's good. And that's great because. Yeah, I can see change, and I can, and and that's 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 really that's really really exciting, and and I think that's there's that you know, um, making sure that you are in the right places, making sure that it's not just about being a presenter. There's making sure that there are production staff. It's making sure there are management staff. It's making sure that there are women in the commercial buying teams. It's making sure that you know that that you, that there are women at every single stage. You know. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, women should be everywhere where decisions are being made. Um, and, and the radio industry, like every section of the entertainment industry, as we now know, has been guilty of not investing time and thought into that for a very long time. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you subscribe to Radio Silence wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Radio Silence Pod. So feel free to get in touch and let us know what you think. You can also check out our newest research on our website at radiosilenceproductions.com. Radio Silence is presented by myself, Kaylee Golden, produced by Palama Kaufman and edited by Ellen McLeod and Billy Hambidge and is engineered and scored by Eric Freer. We'll be back in two weeks' time with more important stories to share. Thanks for listening.